welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host, Kevin Paneskis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this live stream, which is also going to be released as a podcast on my Service Accommodation Property Podcast. And so I'm streaming this into a couple of places. We might be able to come to questions at the end, but I'm not going to jump in and out of questions whilst I'm doing the uh, the live, maybe at the end. So today I am joined by Mark Ormrod, MBE. And so Mark is a veteran, a uh, ex-Royal Marine. Um, he was injured in Afghanistan. And I'll let Mark uh, just tell us a little bit about his journey since getting injured in Afghanistan and, and you know, what he has done since and, and why he is now the, uh, the proud recipient of the MBE. And, uh, and then Mark is going to, because Mark is interested in property investing. He's already a property investor, but he's interested in service accommodation. So Mark's going to introduce himself uh, and explain his background. And then we'll get into a little bit of Q&A. I might ask him a few things about whatever he, he mentions. And then he's going to ask me some questions as well. So, Mark, welcome to the podcast and this live stream. Thank you for having me, mate. Appreciate it. You're very, very welcome. So, Mark, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself so that people have got the, the background and we'll get stuck into the, the episode. All right. So, um, like you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a former Royal Marine, joined back in 2001, straight out of school. Um, got stuck into my career very quickly. I, I um, finished my training four weeks after 9-11, so was deployed to Iraq in 2003 Took a brief sabbatical in 2006 where I retrained as a bodyguard and failed miserably as a civilian. So rejoined the Corps in 2007, deployed to Afghanistan September that year. And on Christmas Eve, I was second in command of a section of eight men returning to our base after a routine foot patrol. And I stood on and detonated an improvised explosive device, which tore off both my legs above the knee and my right arm above the elbow. A lengthy and bumpy rehabilitation journey ensued after that. And I eventually decided to leave on the 1st of July, 2010. Now I had no idea what I was going to do. But I was very lucky that eight weeks later, I was approached by a retired brigadier who offered me a job working with the Royal Marines Association and the Royal Marines Charity. I did that for the last 10 years. And then very recently, in fact, today is my last day. Um, I put in my notice to leave after Christmas and the 16th of February is the day that my, my termination was, my termination, my employment was terminated. And... I decided to go out and do some other things. Now, during that 10-year period of working with the charity, uh, you mentioned it briefly earlier, I've invested in, in a couple of properties. I think 
using the the best known strategy of buy to let so raise enough money for a deposit find the right property rent it out with a long-term look to to capital growth and you know obviously having a, a positive cash flow and now that i'm out and effectively unemployed i am looking to increase my portfolio and look at alternative strategies i think um and it's, it's actually quite overwhelming i know you're a, an expert in the the service accommodation part of the uh the property world so that's something i'd very much like to pick your brains about and to explore but yeah I, I'm, I'm trying to create i'm disabled okay and yes i can work a nine to five but i don't really want to um i'd rather do my own thing create some semi-passive streams of income build something that i can maybe pass on to my family later on and do something that i enjoy i don't really want to answer to a, a boss anymore um i kind of want to go out and run my own routine and everything i've looked at kind of points to this whole you know property world as the way for me to do that and to have the freedom and the anonymity that i need not only because that's what i want but also to work around my various issues with being a disabled person so i mean if if you don't mind i'd love to pick your brains about some of the the questions that i have in the service accommodation area yeah sure um it's one one thing before we get into that one thing that i'm sure people will be interested to know um and to understand is from your point of view what's wrong with the job why you could obviously have a decent well-paid job and you've done really well since leaving the Royal Marines um earning money so what is more appealing to being a business owner, a property investor than having a job for you so i've spent the last 10 years of my life working very hard you know working for the charity that i was with raising money dealing not dealing with working with people that have issues you know some as a result of their service some just as a result of life and it's been very fulfilling and i've enjoyed it but i think if i had a normal job and i've got a very strong work ethic you know working hard to build somebody else's empire if you like doesn't really appeal to me in the charity world it was great because I was very fulfilled with what I was doing and, and I knew it was changing lives. But now I want to take that work ethic and put it into my own thing and to build my own empire, to give my family what they need and what they deserve. And there's just something, I think, very fulfilling about doing that, you know, and, and carving your own way. Okay, well, great. That I think that makes sense for an awful lot of people. Um, so, okay, so let's get into the the questions then. Let me just I'm trying to sort out the audio here, guys. Hopefully, I've now connected to my earpods to get less feedback. See how that goes. Okay, so do you want to uh, ask your questions, then, Mark? Yeah. So. I've, I've looked at various different methods with property. Like I said, I've got a couple of buy-to-lets. I've looked at investing in 
portfolios. So someone else runs a, a fund and it's just based around property and I've got a, a little bit involved in that. But I think, and it is think because I'm, I'm definitely no expert, but where I live here in Plymouth, you know, we're on the, the gateway to Cornwall. There's a big military community down here. We've got a giant nuclear base, naval base. And I just thought this kind of model in this kind of city might work really well. You know, there's lots of guests house down here. People come to visit um, either to, to get away or as a stopover on the way to Cornwall. So I just thought it might be a, a great addition to my portfolio, but I really don't know enough about the difficulties of it. And I know there are, you know, I know it's not as easy as I think it is. So I guess really what I want to know is what are the, what are the hardest parts of it? Okay. So it's, it's a great question and, and it's a question that a lot of people ask. So what is the hardest part of doing service accommodation? But what I'm actually going to do, uh, Mark, is I'll mute your mic so we don't get feedback and then we'll just unmute you each time. Okay, so hopefully that's uh, stopping some of the feedback that we're getting. Um, so, yeah, what's the hardest part of doing service accommodation? Um, it's, it's hard if you don't have systems in place. So just to explain service accommodation for people that might not know, it's effectively using property for short-term uh, guests, short-term rental. Uh, so service accommodation, Airbnb, holiday let, that, that is what we're talking about here. Now, if you don't have any systems in place, then it can be quite overwhelming. And obviously the more properties you get, the more uh, moving parts there are. So effectively, there's, there's two ways of playing this. You can learn all these different systems and how to operate service combination yourself and manage your own properties or you can outsource it to a service accommodation management company. So a lot of, most people will understand the concept of getting a property and handing it over to a letting agent to run as a buy to let. Well, you can do exactly the same thing with a service accommodation property. So you could do uh, purchase to service accommodation, uh, a rewind, and you can hand it over for a SA management company to run it for you as SA. And you can obviously purchase a property and hand it over. You can uh, turn an existing buy to let into SA and hand it over to an SA management company. And you could even go and rent a property on a rent to SA with permission and hand that over to an SA management company. And so in my experience, having been, uh, I've been a property investor for 30 years now, and I was, I was investing in property for 20 years of my army career in 2-9 Commando Regiment. And... Um, I built up my portfolio to a point where I could leave the army uh, without the need to get a job. And so I continued doing buy to let and, and HMO, houses of multiple occupation or multi-let uh, for a number of years. And then I decided to move quite a lot of my housing stock into service accommodation. And, and now I, I purchase more property to do service accommodation. I rent property to do service accommodation. Um, and also I do service combination management where somebody might bring me their property to manage it as service combination. So maybe we'll, we'll dig deeper into rent to SA versus SA management in a minute. But effectively, 
I've learned that I can earn a lot more money from property user service accommodation than buy to let and HMO. And as long as you've got the systems in place and the team in place, or you're outsourcing somebody else's systems and teams, then it can be as passive as, as, it, as possible. And that can create um, really cool recurring income from property. So let me just unmute you, Mark, uh, in case you've got any questions around that stuff. I have a couple questions. Is location key when it comes to SA? Yes, location is key when it comes to SA. And so well, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, um, I, ne I need a, an SA that's a holiday destination. So obviously you're in Plymouth and I know Plymouth really well and I've got SA in Plymouth, I've got a uh, part hotel in Plymouth. And, um, but I've also got SA in parts of the country where people wouldn't dream of going for a holiday. So different towns and cities in different parts of the UK. Now, the, the point I'm going to make here is that the right place for SA is where you've got all year round demand. So Plymouth is fine because, and that's why I've got SA there, because it's got Con uh, all year round demand for workers. So even in the winter, there's people that need to be doing the, uh, you know, building sites and and different different projects, different uh, reasons that people go to different towns and cities to work. And um, but also in the summer, it's got the leisure demand as well. So you get just more money in the summer, but you're still going to make money in the winter. And a lot of people make the mistake, and they'll they'll pick a a small town or or even a village that is maybe coastal or it's got a touristy attraction nearby, that's going to be fine during the summer, but it's not going to be fine during the winter. And when you average it out, you're not going to make anywhere near as much money as you would have done if you'd have gone to a more uh, a bigger town or, or a city that's got all year round demand. So my rule of thumb is anything over 70,000 is going to have a, uh, a decent enough all year round demand. So Plymouth, I think, is 350 or something like that, isn't it? Something like that, 1,000. But uh, yeah, so your bigger towns and cities are fine, but anything over 70,000, you've got all your round demand. Does that answer that one, Mark? Uh, yeah, it does, mate. Yeah, thank you. Now, I'm, I might have misheard you, but did you say you you do rent to SA? And does that mean... I may, I may completely get this wrong, and sorry if I do, but can you rent a property off somebody else have an agreement with them that you will essay their property and then effectively if that's 600 pound a month rent you'll buy to let in from them but they agree you can essay that out for like i don't know 200 pound a week or whatever much it is make a profit on their property without even having to buy a property yourself yeah you did hear it right uh, mark absolutely so i've done over the years i'll just give a little bit of uh, background to this because some people think it's the same as doing rent to rent HMO. And so it's actually mildly similar in terms of the way the description is, uh, but it's, it's massively different um, in terms of how you're operating the property. So quick answer to your question is yes, you can rent a property from somebody and give them the normal buy to let rent, or it might be slightly higher, or it could be slightly less and use that property with permission as serviced accommodation. Now then, there's the different moving parts are 
you should take it on a company let. So you're literally taking the property and it can be from a letting agent or it can be direct to landlord. You could you could approach somebody on Gumtree advertising their property or, or UPAD or open rent and you could be approaching them directly and offering to take their property on a, a what I call rent to SA basis. So you give them the, the monthly amount that they would normally get from a guest, uh, from a tenant, I beg your pardon, and then you advertise it on Airbnb, booking.com, you've got your own website, or you just you can leverage this out to a service combination management company. And they're effectively, they're marketing the, the property for SA guests, short-term guests. And in my experience, uh, you're looking to cash flow between 500 and 1,000 on a rent-to-SA property. And if you imagine that if you went and bought a house to, to, to use as a, a buy-to-let, and obviously I, I know this, I know you know this, you might be looking to cash flow, well, some people are cash flow negative, but you're going to hope to cash flow 100, 200 pounds a month after all costs. And what people, I think, uh, naively rule out of that monthly cash flow is every now and then there's, there's significant expense that, that wipes out quite a lot of previously banked cash flow. So averaging out over a year, maybe 100, 200 would be good. So the deposit required for that and the, the buying and the buying costs, et cetera, the stamp duty um, uh, of, of doing that is quite a lot. And you might, you might spend a decent amount of money refurbishing the property as well. So you have quite a lot of money in to then cash flow a couple, 100 to 200 pounds a month. And the, the, the point I'm going to make here is that same pot of cash could actually go out and create 10, 15, 20 rent to SA properties. And each one of those can be cash flowing you at 500 pounds a month. And so it's when people say to me, oh, yeah, but I don't want to do rent to SA, Kev. I want to, I want to buy my own property portfolio. I say, yeah, me too. But guess what? I'm getting a, a lot of cash flow in from my rent to SA properties that are creating a deposit pot. And then I also go out and buy property to do service accommodation with. And then when it comes to buying property to do service accommodation, uh, including my buy-to-lets that I moved over into uh, service combination, I'm not affected by Section 24 tax. Uh, I don't have, have to buy in a limited company in order to avoid Section 24, which is the anti-landlord tax, stopping you offsetting your mortgage interest. Uh, so I'm, I'm effectively saving a lot of tax that way, making a lot more cash flow. And also, there's a thing called capital allowances which means that you can claim tens of thousands of pounds worth of tax-free income from the property because it's being used as service accommodation. And you can't claim those capital allowances on buy-to-let and HMO either. So don't get me wrong, I've still got buy-to-lets, I've still got HMOs, uh, and I do all the different service accommodation strategies. And so I'm not over-reliant on one particular sector. I'm spreading the risk, if you like, but I've been doing it a long time. So my advice to people starting out in SA who maybe don't have a big deposit pot for purchasing is do rent to SA, build up your deposit pot, and then start buying to SA as well. Does that help, Mark? Man, it blows my mind. Like the, the, I guess it's as creative and as imaginative as you can be with this kind of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, and also, by the way, when you're doing rent to SA, 
you could actually negotiate with the owner of the property to buy their property off them as well at a later date. So there's plenty of struggling landlords or landlords that are just fed up of tenants. They might have had a bad experience with the letting agent. Uh, they might have been managing the property themselves, uh, managing tenants. And so actually, you could say to them, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll rent it off you in the meantime, so I can give you market rent. I'll guarantee to keep your property in show home condition because that's how you need to keep it. And even if you have longer than a one-week stay, you're going to be turning, sending the cleaners in once a week. Uh, so they're going to keep on top of the uh, the maintenance as well. They're going to report any maintenance that needs to happen, but keeping it immaculate. And so you, the property's being kept in show home condition. And then you can say to them, I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, property's currently worth, say, £100,000, just use some round figures. How about um, I'll, I could give you £110,000, guarantee the income for the next three years, and I can buy it off you in three years' time for £110,000. And so what that, that is, it's a, it's a, a, a rental agreement, or it's, it's effectively a lease purchase option is what it's called. You can be renting it with the option to buy it at a fixed price. And ultimately, that you, the landlord or the owner enters into a contract with you where they can't in three years' time say no. Let's say the property's worth 130. They can't say, no, I'm not doing it now, that you've actually got the right to buy it in those three years for the 110. In the meantime, you're cash flowing £500,000 a month from a property you don't own, but then you exercise your option to buy it for 110 when it's worth 130 And then when you own it, you then get to claim all the, the capital allowances and so tens of thousands of pounds of the tax-free income on the property as well, because it's the owner of the property that gets to claim the capital allowances. So I, I'm aware I might be sort of blowing your your mind a little bit here mark it's a bit of a, a, a bit of a massive download so uh, does that present any more questions for you and, and by the way that these questions are what an awful lot of people are thinking i'm trying to unmute you but i'm not sure if we're both doing it at the same time okay you're unmuted uh, and these questions are what a lot of people are, are thinking so they're really great questions all right here's a scenario you approach me with that offer you just said you know, I'll rent your property off you for £600 a month. I'll keep it in show home condition. You don't need to tell me, but I know you're going to rent it for £1,000 a month and, and have that positive cash flow based off of my asset. What stops me turning around to you and saying, well, I'll just do that myself? Do you know what, Mark? That is a massively good question. And it's a question that I get asked a lot. And... The point is that this is why letting agents exist, because people don't want to manage property. People are in a full-time job, and they just want somebody else to manage the property for them. And they also do not have a clue how you are getting your guests, because and people just think, well, well, even if they do know about Airbnb, well, that's fine, but you're not just going to be using Airbnb. You're going to be using Booking.com. You're going to be uh, on the other OTAs like uh, TripAdvisor, Late Rooms, HomeAway, Expedia. And then most people don't even know that you can also be on Booking.com. So they're really not knowledgeable on how to be getting guests. You're going to have your own website. And so you can be getting direct bookings and your social media can be driving direct bookings to your own website where you're not paying any commissions. Um, you can be reaching out to all the local companies and businesses and, uh, you know, Dockyard. Royal Marines, you, you name it, 
local businesses in your area, what we got down there, Wrigley's and, and other type, type businesses, uh, reasons why people are coming to Plymouth to work, all the different construction sites, construction projects. You can be offering your SAs as an alternative to them putting their, their guys into hotels where they're premier in, you know, they're spending 15 quid for a burger and a pint at the bar, whereas they could just have their own slab of beer in the fridge and get pizza and stuff. So actually, you, you're very attractive to, to contractors, et cetera. But most people, unless they're listening into this podcast or, or you know, there's my, my book, Service Combination Success, is obviously another resource on it. But most people have no idea. And um, they, they, so A, they don't know how, and B, they don't want to. And what, but what they're going to get out of the bargain is no, no tenants giving them a hard time because you will take care of minor, minor maintenance and all of that stuff. So they, they're not going to have nightmare tenants. But another thing, landlords are petrified of having normal tenants these days because they can't evict them if they stop paying rent. You're talking about 18 months at the moment. If you wanted to actually evict somebody, uh, the tenant uh, eviction ban is in place. and Tenants are asking for rent holidays and et cetera. Uh, and so even if they stop paying you rent, you're going to have a hard job getting them out. So landlords are, are really motivated at the moment and really worried about having tenants. Whereas if you take the property on a company let and do SA with it, then you are not a tenant. You, you can't stop paying rent and not be slung out. All right? If you stop paying rent, they can just turf you out, evict you, because you you're not a tenant. You're not a tenant that sits and sits outside the housing act. So to answer your question, Mark, there's massive um, incentives for landlords right now to uh, give their properties over to somebody who's going to manage it as, as an SA. And actually, you'd be looking to turn over about 2500 on on a typical property on a typical month. But out of that comes your rent, your, your cleaning, the laundry costs, your OTA commissions, booking.com, Airbnb commissions, um, and uh, you're paying the bills, you're paying the gas, the electric, et cetera, because you are effectively renting the property. And so after all those costs have come out, you should be looking at about a £1,000 cash flow. But your expenditure taken on the property might have only been, well, you can even rent it furnished. You know, I've, I've taken on properties that are already furnished and the landlord doesn't even ask for a deposit. And, and actually... I thought I've had um, three and a half thousand pounds worth of bookings in before I even paid out the first month's rent, which was six hundred pounds. So this is this is why I quite like rent to SA, <laughs> where instead of um, you know buying a property to use as a buy to let, you can see that the uh, the difference there. I'll unmute you. No, I won't. You'll have to unmute yourself because it won't let me. No, I. The more you talk, the more questions I have. <laughs> Might have to do a podcast follow-up number two, <laughs> but, but go for it. I've got two left right now. The first one is, yeah. so who is in your team? You mentioned the Airbnb, Booking.com. You said cleaners. Who yeah. do you need in your, your power team effectively to run these things so that they're as passive as they can be for you? Cool. So the, 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 a few different moving parts that you need. You need a, a, a channel manager. Now, a channel manager is a piece of software. It's not a person. And effectively, what that does is it, um, it acts as the hub in between Booking.com, Airbnb, and all of the other OTAs. So if you get a booking in from Booking.com for a week, 
then the channel manager will block off that week on the other OTA so you can't get double booking. So that's important because you can be getting bookings in in the middle of the night because people are in Australia looking to, for a service combination in your town um, and they're booking whilst you're asleep. So you definitely want to make sure you've got a channel manager. Now that your website also links into your channel manager so if you get a direct booking through your own website, it blocks off the availability and no one can book you for that period of time either. Now what the channel manager then does is it also automatically, so you're not doing this stuff, um, uh, con contacts your guests by email or it could be by text. And so what you want is your terms and conditions signed. So that happens electronically. Your terms and conditions are signed because you don't want to default or stay with booking.com or Airbnb's terms and conditions. You want your own. So they will then sign your terms and conditions. It initiates the payment being taken. So we have payment taken two weeks from check-in because they might book a year out, but they're not going to want to pay a year out. So within two weeks of check-in, um, payment gets taken. If they're booking within two weeks of check-in, then the payment uh, gets taken automatically. So that's a system, and we don't get involved in that. So you need a merchant account, and this plugs into your system as well, which is we use Stripe. But think of WorldPay. Uh, PayPal is, is a merchant account, but we don't suggest you use PayPal. It's more expensive, and, and uh, guests can, can do chargebacks without question. So don't use PayPal. Um, but ultimately, so that, again, this is a system where you're not getting involved. Because the channel manager knows when your guests are coming, it notifies your meet and greet team. So that could be you, or you could have somebody meeting the guest at the property, or it could just be sending the key code access to your guests. So it knows when your guests are coming. It also knows when your guests are leaving. So it, it tells the cleaner when to go and clean the property. So, so that's done. And then the cleaner's done it, and it's available the same day. You make sure the cleaners go, and this is why we also need to source cleaners that work on a Sunday, uh, because they might check out on a Sunday. You want it cleaned on a Sunday so that it's ready for somebody to move in on the Sunday night. So effectively, that's everything that, that is done for you. And your website, and your, sorry, your channel manager will also then follow up by email telling them, please book with us direct next time. This is our website. We'll give you 10% off the booking.com price because your booking.com's commission is 15%. So is Airbnb's now. And so, so that's all happening in the background. So then they book with you direct. And again, the, the whole cycle continues. So on the ground, you need cleaners. Don't go with like a one-man, one-woman band cleaner. You want some spare capacity in case a cleaner is ill or on holiday or something. You need cleaners on the ground, and then you just need some uh, handymen or trades in order to go and sort things out. Um, which is fine. And so letting agents, you know, if you've used a letting agent, you've probably already got a few contacts of plumbers and, and electricians and, and things like that. But if not, you just need to get those people on the phone and, again, have a couple. And so effectively now you are you're set up and you can be doing this from home. You don't need, a, don't need a, a premises or anything like that to be running your service accommodation business. You can just be doing it from home. Over to you, Mark. All right, I have one more question, and I promise I'll stop. I'm That's actually fine. going around today, and I'm viewing a couple of properties today in and around Plymouth. With my intention was to just go use the same model that I've used with the buy-to-let. Um, I've been doing it ever since Christmas, not having a great deal of success, if I'm honest. Um, I don't know if I'm too cheeky with my offers or what. But 
what for someone so if i want to go into this now as a, a novice who hasn't done it before what is the ideal property to go for and i know you've got you're converting b&b's but are we talking three bed houses one bed apartments uh static homes in caravan parks what, what's the best entry level service accommodation to go for cool so there's um, there's a, a rule of thumb that I, I like, uh, but it, it depends. So every town and every city is different. But I like at least two bed properties upwards. I prefer houses over apartments because in apartments or flats, you might have a, a management company who might not want service accommodation going on. They might have had a bad experience with somebody that is allowing one night stays from Airbnb, which can cause parties and things like that. Um, so by the way, on the, our terms and conditions, we don't allow parties. We don't allow one night stays. Sometimes we have a minimum three night stays. So someone isn't going to book you for a Friday and a Saturday, but you know, you take deposits, you take credit card details, you make sure you've got your terms and conditions signed. Um, you basically give a gypsy's warning to, to the guest in a polite way by email that parties, any party you'd lose your deposit and you will be asked to leave immediately and, and, you will be notified by neighbours if there is one, that type of thing. But effectively, a management company might have had a bad experience in the past that somebody doesn't have all these systems in place and therefore they don't want to do it. So you could get friction there. Also with flats, there can be a lease, lease restrictions which don't allow you to do short-term letting. Okay? That might be actually written in the lease that doesn't allow it. So freehold houses I prefer, uh, definitely. Um, now two beds upwards. And, and actually, we've got five bed houses that we use as service accommodation. And, and a lot of people think, well, isn't that a bit too big? No. Imagine we could we can sleep nine contractors in there. In fact, it's 11 contractors in there because we've got single beds in, in the rooms, in the one I'm thinking of. Um, and you've also got a sofa bed in the lounge. So imagine, so, so for that house... Where would, what would that rent? You'd probably be able to rent that house. It's in Swansea for about £600, okay, maybe 650 But that property cash flows. It's been, a, been less during COVID, but um, it's two houses on one title, so I'm trying to separate the two. But it's about £2,000 uh, cash flow after all costs a month on that house. And we are typically we're getting contractors in. So if you imagine contractors, they don't want to stay for two, three, four nights. They want to stay for six months because they're doing a building project. And all of them together, so the, the amount they're paying, so that, let's say there, there's, there's 10 of them, and the, let's, and the night rate's only uh, £200 per night, that's £20 each. How much of a saving is that for them to stay in a house not in a guest house B&B, not having to spend ridiculous amounts of money at the bar for their beer and, and food and stuff. Um, and they get, they get the place cleaned every single week and change it, the linen gets changed, the laundry gets changed, the towels get changed, the property gets cleaned. So they love it. And so, again, you could go and do Rent to SA on a house like that. And you can either manage it yourself or you could hand it over to an SA management company to manage it for you and just, just actually sit back and be completely passive. Not have to even have to learn all the different moving parts of, of SA yourself. Just hand it over to an SA management company. So when it comes to an SA management company, you might actually go to them in your town, in your city, 
and say to them, look, if I was to go and acquire property and, and, and bring that to you for, to use to manage as SA, where would it be? How many bedrooms? What's it look like? What in your experience makes you the most money? Because they operate, an SA management company effectively will charge you a percentage of turnover. So let's say it's 20% and the turnover is two and a half grand. They get 500 quid for managing the property. And effectively, they then pay uh, the, the, the OTA fees, they pay the cleaning and the laundry, and they give the remainder to you. But the point is that they are going to give you advice based on what's going to earn them the most money. But guess what? It's also going to earn you the most money because it's going to get the most bookings. So that's a really cool way of leveraging SA management companies in your town and your city in order to go and source the right property. So you definitely want to, if you're going to try and get this information from SA management company, because I'm, I'm mentoring a footballer at the minute, and um, he went about it the wrong way, and they got all defensive thinking that he just wanted to set up in competition. And I, I mentored him and said, look, no, go back to him and say, look, you haven't got time to be running a service accommodation business. You just want to go and get properties and hand it over to them to manage. And when he did that, then they were a lot more receptive and a lot more helpful in terms of giving him the right advice. And effectively, that's what he's now doing. Um, to find your SA management companies, get onto Google and put in service accommodation, put in corporate lets, put in contractor lettings, put in those keywords, um, uh, put in um, holiday lets, that type of thing, because they call themselves different things. So you'll have to go to maybe even page three or four even, because you've got all the big boys who are spending all the, the Google ad spend and they, they dominate the first few pages, your booking.com, your Airbnbs, and et cetera. But then when you find a, a, a company, so usually it's a .co.uk, but sometimes local companies will call themselves a .com. I don't recommend it because it's a, an American thing, but some people do. But effectively, you find an SA management company in your town, just click on the website and you'll see their properties listed in your town. Then you know that they're a good SA or they're an SA management company. You see how many properties they've got. Don't pay any attention to their own reviews that they've got on their own website. Go and find the exact same properties on booking.com and Airbnb and see the average review score on those properties. So out of booking.com, it's out of 10. On Airbnb, it's out of five. See how, how well they're operating based on the average reviews they're getting. And if that is good, then you are going to be um, interested in giving them your properties to manage because that you've now got the inside track on how well they're going to do with yours because how you do anything is how you do everything right so um, hopefully that helps Mark I've got a feeling we might have to do a, a podcast episode number two with other questions yeah no I just looked at the timer at 38 minutes mate so that that's um that's blown my mind and given me a lot to think about I'm not going to ask you any more questions because I know you wanted to keep it to half an hour but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely up for doing a part two or um, picking your brains well, outside let's of. Let's do it. Yeah, but thank you. Yeah. That, thank you for inviting me on. Thank you for answering my questions. Thank you for blowing my mind and giving me lots to think about. Cool, um, Mark. If anyone does want to uh, get in touch with you, I mean, obviously you've got a lot of experience in terms of transitioning from a job, dealing with uh, adversity. Um, helping other other people. If anyone does want to reach out to you and, and contact you, how how should they do that? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, markwomrod.com. 
I'm, I'm everywhere. Just Google Mark Wormrod and all the contact details will come up. And uh, I'm on there daily. So I'm always answering my emails and, and my DMs. And uh, I did have a look earlier. There was a, 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 an Australian athlete called, called that. I was having a little look. So, so basically, and also people might be used to having a big bushy beard, but you shaved that off the charity. Then you've yeah. just got your, girl, your daughter to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Mark Ormond, but effectively your background, you know, uh, is Royal Marines and, and uh, uh, I'm the guy with no legs. I'm the Mark yeah. with no legs. Because you're also a, a Paralympian as well. You, you the Invictus, Invictus Games Olymp, uh, um, athlete as well, right? So uh, yeah, you've done a lot. Yeah. Cool. Now, now we're on a new journey. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. All right. So thanks very much, Mark. I really enjoyed that. That was that was cool. And so I think I might, uh, I'll come on to your podcast as well. And, um, and you can, uh, you can run, run the show on your podcast. So I'd love for you to come back onto mine. I'd love, love to come onto your podcast. That would be great. Um, uh, what's your podcast title? Uh, it's no limits with a hashtag at the front. Hashtag no limits. Awesome. I love that. All right. Cheers then, Mark. So, um, cool. Thanks for uh, listening, everybody. Those of you that are watching the, uh, the live stream, thanks for tuning in. And so we're going to uh, wrap up the podcast episode there. Uh, I mentioned my, my book earlier, Service Accommodation Success. You can go and uh, find that on Amazon as well. Uh, it's number one uh, best-selling book, or it has been number one best-selling book on Amazon. And check out the reviews, as I mentioned just now. Always do your due diligence. Check out the reviews on it. Um, you'll, you'll see some really great written reviews. Took me ages to write them all. Um, but no. And so uh, hopefully you enjoyed that, everybody. And as I always finish, here's to your service accommodation success. And remember, your future needs you. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. You can also follow me on social media and YouTube by searching The Property Soldier. Also check out my website, www.propertysoldier.co.uk, where you can learn even more about property investing and serviced accommodation.